First Baptist Church. If you're a visitor here this morning, we have some visitor cards on the sides of the pews. If you'd take a moment to fill those out and then place them in one of the boxes at the back or in the offering trays as they're passed, um, we would appreciate that. If you're joining us online today, if you'd take a moment to go out of full screen and just let us know how many people are there with you, we'd also appreciate that. Um, announcements, just a reminder, our annual uh, membership meeting is next Sunday right after church. And <clears throat> so all members, keep that in mind. Then um, one other a couple other things. Uh, today is Wayne and Sandy Ransom's 62nd wedding anniversary. And then, if everyone, I, I, I don't know how many of you came for the spaghetti dinner last night, but I, it was a great time, um, really good food. I think we need to give Brandy a round of applause for putting that together. And then Brandy has a report. Thank you, everyone, and thank you for all of your support. I have a list of about 30 volunteers that worked last night, so we had a crew of guys outside, so thanks, guys, for freezing. So woohoo! thank you for those guys. Um, we had uh, hostesses, little ones helping seat people. So thank you for you young girls for helping with that. Um, and then we had a bunch of youth group help and other volunteer kids just being able to serve. And so thank you kids for stepping up. You did a great job on that. I do want to pour out my huge thanks to a few people who were in the kitchen. So Randy, thank you so much, Shanna, Kim. Kathy, uh, Karen, we had uh, so many volunteers, my husband up there. So thank you guys so much for all of your help. And really, I scribbled down like 30 names. So thank you all so much for your help. Uh, just to give you an update, um, between the event last night and some other previous givings, uh, just our community has stepped up and we have raised close to about $5,000 for the Cox family. So thank you guys so much for all that you do. And continue to just pray for them. And um, as we know of more that we can help with, um, I will correspond with you guys. So thank you. Thanks, Brandy. If we'll say our monthly memory verse now, if you'd all please stand. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Mark 8 29. Well, I've got. Uh... Uh, a story and uh, a question for you. My question is, when is the last time or what it was the hardest thing for you to wait for? Have you ever had something that you've had to be patient for for a really long time? Anybody? Um, and how many of you are extremely good at patience? Right, when I talk to when I talk to people uh, about what is God doing or teaching you in your life today, a lot of people will share with me. And so what's God teaching you? He'll say, patience, right? Or what's God doing in your life right now? He's teaching me to be patient. Well, that was true in my life when I met a young woman named Becky. Um, and I met her in college. 
My first words for her, because I was so awestruck by her, were, whoa, you're a beast. I don't recommend those be your first words to, uh, to somebody you're interested in. Guys, please take notes. Um, but one of the cool things was after two years of asking Becky to be my girlfriend and her telling me no, she just wanted to be my friend, and we had a really good friendship. It wasn't in a creepy way, right? It was just, it was, uh, <laughs> guys, also take notes. Don't do that. <clears throat> but as I continued to ask her out, um, eventually God laid on both of our hearts that, that we needed to, to start preparing our lives to, be, to come together. And so I finally got the courage to ask her out one more time, and she said yes. And uh, that was a big praise God moment. I had to wait. I had to wait uh, patiently for God to get us both into a place where we were uh, ready to now start dating. And as we dated, one of those agreements that we had as we were dating is Becky looked at me and she said, Shane, you need to know if we're going to date, we're not going to kiss. And I was like, ah, but I want to. She said, no, I only want to save my kiss for that man that's going to be my husband. I said, that's pretty incredible. Uh, So I said, okay, well, that is something that we are going to abide by. So I asked her, how short can our dating life be? (laughs) And uh, so we had a a, a good long while waiting as we dated. We got to know each other, and we got to become close, really good friends, really, really close. We got to build our friendship, which, by the way, guys, when you're dating, the, the purpose of that season is to build a friendship because other aspects of your relationship will grow much faster than you want them to if you let them reign in your relationship. But that's a season where you get to build a friendship first. And so we, we got to the end of our dating relationship, and I, I realized or I discovered that that was really good for us to build relationship and uh, to build friendship. And I'll never forget the day that I decided I was going to ask Becky to marry me. It was on her birthday, and I was in a punk rock band, okay? And so I had all my punk rock band get together, and we wrote a song, and the chorus of the song said, I would be blessed if you said yes. And um, so I, and then after singing that, I got down on one knee, and I proposed to her. And while she got done giggling in excitement, she, uh, she said yes, yes, okay. And then I was like, today's the day. We're engaged. I get to finally have that kiss. I was so excited. And I remember we walked to, the, to get away from, we had all of our friends and our people there, and we walked away, and I walked her to her car at the end of that, and we had our first kiss. And it was all teeth because she was so smiley. <laughs> she was so smiley. She was so excited that uh, we, and, and we, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm letting you, I'm giving you guys the inside scoop on Shane and Becky here, okay? <laughs> But there's a lot of waiting involved because then we were engaged, but then we had about a year of engagement, right? And we've arrived. We know that we're going to get married. We're basically married, but we're not married yet. And so there was still more waiting to do for an entire year. And we had this marker when we were engaged that we were, we were to be married, but we were not yet. And we were committed to each other as if we were married, but we weren't married yet. And... That's where, as we look into this passage that we're about to read, that's where we find ourselves with the kingdom of God. It's like we're in this engagement season where we know our salvation is true and we know the kingdom of God has come, but it's also not yet. 
There's the sense where we're waiting for Jesus to come back and we're excited about this thing before us when we can be with Jesus, but there's still pain in this life, isn't there? And we know that it is not yet complete. So here's what we're going to talk about, the mystery of the kingdom. We're going to talk about the fact that Jesus comes bringing a kingdom because he is a king. And it is going to show us throughout the rest of these um, throughout the rest of the, the next series or next part of the passage, it's all about the kingship of Christ. It's all about the kingship of Christ. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Mark. Turn to the book of Mark. And you're not going to be able to see this, so please open up your Bibles. The book of Mark, we're in chapter 1. Sorry, Mark chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 14. Starting in verse 14, if you follow along with me, so Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Let me bring this up. Okay, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. And so um, let's keep doing this review. Uh, for us as a church, we're trying to remember, we're trying to find an easy way for us to remember the gospel. Everybody say gospel. Okay, and the gospel is really important for us to remember, and we're running through this. It's, it spells gospel, and this is how we're remembering it as a church when we share. We're not just going to spit this out at people, but this is a, a marker for us to say, does this person understand that, number one, God created us to be with him? Okay, God created us to be with him. And then, oh, our sins separate us from God. Is this sounding familiar? Good. S, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. And then P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. And then E, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And then L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Okay, Church, I keep reviewing that because the gospel of Mark keeps bringing this up, that this is the good news. This is the gospel of Jesus. As we continue, let's continue reading in verse 15 here. I'm sorry. Mark 1, 15, the saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Verse 15, repent and believe in the gospel. 16, passing along the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him and followed him. So let's begin to unpack this idea as Jesus says in verse 15, He came preaching this message. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It is very important for us, church, to understand this phrase, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. This is a theme throughout many of the gospels. And so we need to ask, what is this message? He calls it the good news, that the kingdom of God is come here. And so many of your translations will say near. And number one as you think about or picture a kingdom, what do you picture? What do you think about when you hear kingdom? You can shout it out. A king, a palace, what else? 
a crown. What else do you think when you think of kingdom? People, that there's people in a kingdom usually, right? If you're a king and you have no people in your kingdom, you're probably just a dude, right? Sorry, Becky told me that I use the word dude a lot and it shows me that I'm young. Um, so Jesus, we know from this passage that Jesus here is he's coming, he's proclaiming, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying the king is where? Here, he's right in front of you. He's here with you, right? He is at hand. So the kingdom of God has come because the king has arrived. And you see so much of that displayed in the, in the recordings of Mark. Everything hereafter until he has the discussion with the disciples about who they say that he is, he's going to be hitting these, these different characteristics of his kingship on earth, okay? So Jesus, say this with me, Jesus is king. Can you say that with me? Jesus is king. And so there's this idea of his kingship. It comes with kingly authority. And his is a kingdom unlike any other kingdom. Many times when you're looking at the kingdom of God, you're going to say that it's an, uh, we, many people call it an upside down kingdom, meaning it's unlike most kingdoms of mankind. It's very different from what we would know to be a kingdom because this kingdom is a kingdom without borders. It's a kingdom without borders meaning that this kingdom can exist in all of the many nations across the world and the many people groups and the different types of people. This kingdom can be ever progressing throughout history as it has, as it has. It went through the Roman nation. The the kingdom of God was within, but it was across the whole world or across the whole globe. We know that today, that even though mankind really is good at dividing things up by borders, The kingdom of God is without borders. Amen? That rings especially true as we get out of an election year or an election, midterm elections, right? As you think about the kingdom of God, as you think about there are no barriers or borders when it comes to the kingdom of God. And God's kingdom, Jesus, as we're going to see in the next few weeks, it comes with a higher authority than what we're used to. We're used to the authority of men, which usually comes through what? Force. The kingdoms of men are usually built on what? Who has the most force or the most power? The kingdom of God, the physical, so the kingdom of God, it functions entirely different. It has a spiritual authority that the world had not really seen up until this point. And so here he's announcing that there is a new spiritual authority in town. And when Jesus taught, he taught, and they said it was like one who had authority. Because he had kingly authority over something they could not understand or they could not see. See, here's this principle that we're going to see in the book of Mark, and I don't want to get too much into this, but this idea that the physical, our physical reality submits to the spiritual authority of God. And that there's a higher power, a higher authority over the physical that we cannot see. And we're going to unpack that as the weeks go by. But Jesus' kingdom, it doesn't progress or it doesn't expand like most kingdoms. Instead, it expands through his people in acts of kindness and gospel sharing and sacrifice and humility. This kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's one that comes in a different way. And we get to be a part of this kingdom progression throughout history. But there's this mystery about the kingdom. And the mystery is that it is here, 
Has Jesus' reign begun on this earth? What do you guys think? Yes. I see you guys are like, wait a second, what? His kingdom reign has begun on this earth now. It started when he paid the price for our sin on the cross. His kingdom was established on this earth. But is it here fully yet? No. How do we know? Because he hasn't come back yet. There's still pain. There's still cancer. People are still evil to one another. Not everything has been brought under the reign and the rule of Christ just yet. So as we talk about the kingdom of God, it's important for us to understand that it is both here and not yet. And this is another one of those mind-boggling truths that you're going to read in Scripture. That is here, but it's not yet here. It's, they call it the already and the not yet. You're going to see it taught over and over in Scripture and in Jesus' ministry. As we talk about the kingdom, there's two errors. There's two errors that we tend to make when we begin to talk about the kingdom of God or the other, other gospels use synonymously the kingdom of heaven. The one error is to focus too much on the kingdom here, okay? The kingdom or the rule, and we'll define, uh, let's define the kingdom really quick. The kingdom is literally, the kingdom of God is about Jesus, our king, establishing his rule and reign over all creation defeating the human and angelic evil powers, bringing order to all, enacting justice, and being worshiped as Lord. This is what we're defining, the kingdom of God. And so there's two errors that we make when we start to consider the rule and reign of Christ on this earth and in our lives, is that we can focus too much on the kingdom here. And here's where we begin to preach health and wealth gospel. That by the kingdom being here, I should have no more hurt, I should have no more pain. There should be no more strife at work. Work, and when I go to work, it should be easy or happy. I should have whatever I want or whatever my desire, uh, whatever my desire is. And see, here's the error that we make. We try to make the kingdom of heaven here. But we know that the Bible talks or uses terms like we are sojourners. You guys know what a sojourner is? We're just passing through. This is not our home. We're temporary residents. Peter calls us temporary residents. And so the kingdom is both here, but we aren't supposed to set up shop in this life like this is it. We're not supposed to have the attitude where we just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. There is so much more to us than, than just this 50 to 100 years that God gives us in this life. There's an eternity, an eternal kingdom that we get to have with him. So one error is that we focus too much on having the kingdom here. And the other error is that we focus too much on the kingdom coming and we become hopeless for today. And we say, we look at the world today and we say, oh man, this is going a really poor direction. Maybe you've heard somebody say that, man, this whole thing is going to hell in a handbasket. So we get so focused, oh, Jesus, Lord, come. There's no hope for us today. And so the other, uh, the other error that we make is that we focus on the kingdom coming and we forget that Jesus' kingdom and rule and reign is here present with us now. Okay, so two errors. You guys remember them? That we focus too much on the kingdom is here already or we focus too much on the kingdom is not here and it is still coming. How do I, where do I get these passages? Well, look at Hebrews 2. If you got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 2. I want you to look at verse 7. Hebrews 2, verse 7. We're going to see evidence for the kingdom of God that it's already and not yet. Hebrews 2. I'll wait until I hear those fantastic page sounds start to slow or the warm glow of your device. 
for those of you who are younger. So Hebrews 2, 7 through 9 starts, verse 7, you made him, that's Jesus, for a little while lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory. So you hear the crown, right? Kingship of Jesus crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Now, when we get done with that, the immediate question, if the period just ended there, is like right there and the, the sentence finished, we would say, well, if this is under Jesus's control, what's going on? If the world is still completely, uh, is totally under subjection to Christ, what is going on? But here he continues on, the author of Hebrews, at present, we do not see, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, we might, he might taste death for everyone. And so you get the sense, well, wait a second, Hebrews, author of Hebrews, Paul, if you think he's the author of Hebrews, what are you saying? Are you saying that the kingdom is here and everything's been made right? Because I'm not seeing that. Or are you saying that the kingdom has not come? And here's where we get frustrated in our American mindset. We're like our Western mindset. It's got to be either or, black or white. We can't handle this idea of gray area, God. We need to know clearly what this means. Here's the mystery of the kingdom. Yes, it's here, but it's not here yet. It's here, but it's not here yet. You continue to see that. 1 John 3, 2. If you got your Bibles, again, turn to 1 John 3, 2. 1 John 3, 2. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. Now. Did you hear that? We are God's children now. And what we will, uh, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Did you catch that? We're children now, but we don't really appear like it. Anybody feel that big time? <laughs> like when you're still wrestling with your sin nature as a Christian, you're like, man, I know that God has spoken over me that I'm a child of God, but I just don't look like it. I'm, I'm right here with you on that. But he says, when Jesus does come, we will begin to look like what we are. Isn't that cool? When Jesus comes again, we'll begin to look like what we are. We already are children of God, but when Jesus comes back, we'll begin to look like it. Isn't that cool? So that begs the question, why is the kingdom not completely here? You ever wonder that? What is keeping God from just coming down and ruling and reigning? Does he have the power to do that right now, right here? To right all the wrongs, to undo all the pain, to undo all of the sin, to see no more cancer, to see no more sickness. Why? Anybody have that question? I want you to take you to a passage, 2 Peter 3.9. We're doing a tour of the Bible today, 2 Peter 3.9. It's one of the most amazing mysteries of the kingdom. What stays God's hand from bringing about his kingdom in full? 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing, and here's the key part, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. All should reach repentance. So what stays God's hand? Well, what is the problem with 
God's rule and reign? Could he come in by force and make us all serve the throne of God? Yes. By his very, the revelation says the word of his mouth, he could conquer all nations today. What stays his in hand? His patience with us. Because you know what the problem with all creation is? Sinful man. Hear God's kindness to you. Many of us clamor, why, God, do bad things happen today? You ever had that? Why do bad things happen today? God is actively ready to remove why bad things happen to today. But you know what? Human beings are the reason why bad things happen today. We're the center, we're the source of of what unleashed sin in this world, and we continue to unleash sin in this world. Aren't you so glad that God waited up until this point in history so that you could jump on the train of grace and be a child of God before he poured out his wrath on all evil because we were a part of that evil. And so we have this promise from God in 2 Peter 3, 9, that what stays his hand from the kingdom coming is patience for somebody yet again, who's going to be brought into new life in Christ. So the next time we get impatient with our evils and impatient with our pain and impatient with our illness, say, this is because one more person today is going to come to faith. One more person is going to be added to our number before the throne of God on that day in Revelation. Why one more day of pain? Brothers and sisters, we can endure this, can't we? Because it means one more brother and sister is going to be with us when this life ends. But I believe sometime in history, man will no, more, no longer choose the Lord. And there will be that day when no more will somebody choose repentance and choose grace. And I believe that's when Jesus is going to come back. But today, brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so we get to be the bearers of of that truth because we get to share that with the people who are going to be with us on that day. We get to plead with people, come with us, be a part of the kingdom of God today so that we can be with our King eternally in heaven. This life is not it. Our objectives, brothers and sisters, as sojourners is not to set up shop on this earth and make this the end for us the most important thing, but it is instead to live heavenly minded, to set our mind on things above and to know that what God is doing is more important than us just being comfortable today. So let me move on here. In this kingdom passage then, we see in verses 16, every king has to have people in his kingdom, doesn't he? And so here the disciples are called. And so we, we look at verse 16. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. I want to show you a quick picture. So this is Becky looking out at the Sea of Galilee. And this is, uh, they call it the Lake Gennesaret. Um, there's us on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, or Lake Gennesaret as it's called today. And this is a picture of me crashing my drone into the Sea of Galilee. And that's when I found out that Jesus could walk on water, but my drone just sank. But it was on this sea, it was on the shore of this lake, because I don't know if you guys can see, but you can see to the other side. It's, it's like a lake in our, in our modern terms. Um, so passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, 
and I will make you become fishers of men. A lot of times we like to pull this or separate this passage from the previous one where Jesus says, I'm coming and I'm bringing the kingdom of God. But here, these two passages, there is no separation where Jesus says, I'm the king. And then he begins to call the citizens of his new kingdom. He says, come and be. He says, follow me. That's not the message of just a good teacher. That's the message of a king who says, follow me, join my kingdom, and I will make you fishers of men. So as we understand that we are citizens of this new kingdom, we need to understand a couple of things. What was the disciples' response to Jesus' call to follow him? They dropped everything, didn't they? I don't recommend doing this at work tomorrow, right? But they dropped everything. See, there's this true freedom that we have when we recognize that our highest citizenship, our most important belonging is to the kingdom of God. And that surpasses our citizenship in heaven should be far more important to us than citizenship in any other nation, in any other club, in any other people group. The kingdom of heaven is by far the most important citizenship that we have in this life. And so when we understand that we're citizens of a higher kingdom than that of the U.S., it changes how we engage in the world today, doesn't it? Because our highest allegiance is to Christ above any other nation. And this provides for us a true freedom, a true loyalty. So you look at the disciples, they probably in their life, if Jesus wouldn't have entered, what would they have probably continued to do? Then fishers. How many of you, whether for good or for ill, inherited your parents' work and you never thought that you could do something else? I always appreciate my dad. He, uh, he inherited roofing from his dad, his father. His father came. He was a roofer. It's a very hard trade, uh, especially on sunny days. If you've ever been up on a roof, slinging a hammer on sh- with shingles. And my dad said he never wanted his kids to feel like they had to go be a roofer because it was so hard. See, I think many of us can be prisoners to the baggage of the past, and we just fall into doing what we've seen people do before us and see we're prisoners to what is inherited. But Jesus comes on the scene with this new kingdom, and he says to his disciples, you are now set free to serve the kingdom. You're set free to do the things that I have made for you. That may look like getting another trade, but your goal in finding another trade is different or I might take your current trade and form it into a new purpose. You were once fishers, but now you'll become fishers of men. I think a lot of us stand here today and we're prisoners. We're not truly free as citizens of Christ to live to his kingdom. Instead, we're physically prisoners. We're spiritually prisoners. We have blueprints. When we do premarital counseling with couples, it amazes me. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. For those of you who are married people, have you ever noticed, you ever said this one time? oh my goodness, I sounded like my mom or dad just then. All of us bring into marriage this blueprint that we inherit from the people who went before us. Whether it was a good blueprint or it was a pretty messy blueprint, a lot of us bring that into our new lives in marriage, don't we? But see here, this being a citizen frees us. And I think this is the picture that we see. When you become a citizen of the kingdom of God, you're set free from the blueprints of your past. And so that's when we do premarital counseling, we're trying to encourage, by the grace of Jesus, you don't have to do things the way your parents did them 
And by the grace of the Lord, you don't have to do, and for some of you need to hear this, you don't have to do exact opposite of your parents. Because some of you look at your parents, you're like, I'm going to do everything completely different than they did. Now you're free as a citizen of heaven. You no longer have to either react to the blueprint or take on the blueprint of what came before you. You now are a citizen of heaven. See, I think a lot of us are prisoners to stress and anxiety. Anybody? When you're a citizen of heaven, you no longer have to be a prisoner to the stress or the anxiety, but instead you're free to a heavenly kingdom that we know is going to come. I think a lot of us are slaves or were citizens of the entertainment industry, of our wealth, of people around us. Anybody people pleasers? That You just constantly think about what people think of you. I think we're prisoners of that. See, being a citizen of heaven frees us because now when we're a citizen, who's the only opinion that matters? Our kings. Our kings is the only opinion that matters. Why is it that Christian can, Christians can do things that are countercultural even when people criticize us? Because the highest citizenship that we have is in heaven. God's, our king's opinion about us matters the most. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's a wonderful truth for the believer. Freedom from waiting on the hopes of the world. How many of us are, we're forgetting our citizenship in heaven. So when we go into voting booths, like we did this last week, we're trying to put all of our concerns and all of our hopes and all of our dreams into these politicians, because they're going to change things for the better. We need to pray for them, don't we? But we cannot have our hope in them. The reforms, legislation cannot be where our loyalty lies. Can we take part in those things? Yeah, believers, I hope we do. But it is not where our hope lies, and it is not our highest priority. I think about uh, the topic of abortion. When I think about this, and I see picketers And I see people waiting on legislation when I know that our hope for the unborn kids is not just in politics. It's not just in legislation. It's not just in laws. Brothers and sisters, I hope that as the kingdom of God, we know that we serve an upside down kingdom. And so an upside down kingdom like our Lord, like our King gets down on its knees and serves women with unplanned pregnancies in such a way that they don't feel like they have to do it alone. We don't have to wait on politics to do that. We don't have to wait on legislation to do that. We can serve them today. What if we were people who did that up front? Our hope, yes, we want the law. We want the legislation. It's horrendous. But first and foremost, we're kingdom builders. And so when it comes to abortion, if if you're a a woman who's experienced uh, abortion, we we want you to know that there there is restoration and forgiveness for you as you bear that weight. And for those who may be considering abortion, this church, as we saw last night, we love our people, don't we? You're not alone. You're not alone. Let us come and help you. Let us stand beside you and cry tears with you. That's the kingdom progression. That's how God's kingdom moves. Not through law and legislation, but through compassion. We want to be citizens who then turn to make citizens. And this is the last point as we see when he says you're going to be set free to be fishers of men. We need to know that becoming a citizen of the kingdom means that we take on this new role, that we become fishers of men. This is where Peter calls us all priests. 
Did you know that? We're a nation of priests. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, did you know you're a priest? This is called the concept. Yeah, some of you are like, whoa, that's an awesome title. If you, some of you come dressed a little fancier next week, I'll know what happened. Like, I'm a priest. But you are. According to Peter, we're a nation of priests. What is a priest's goal, a task for a priest? To advocate for right relationship or restore relationship with God. That is our purpose, brothers and sisters. Jesus' goal of the disciples was not just to get them saved, but that they would become fishers of men. Brothers and sisters, I think so many of us, we think, I've arrived, I'm now saved, I've, made right, I've been made right with God, now I'm just going to show up on Sundays, sit in the pews, and, and uh, drink Kool-Aid. Maybe that was the wrong choice of words. <laughs> don't drink the Kool-Aid. But don't just show up. Don't just sit in these pews. Don't just come Sunday in and Sunday out. I've seen too many brothers and sisters that I believe one day are going to stand before our king and he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And they're going to say, Lord, we sat every Sunday in these pews. We went to church every Sunday. I know every book of the Bible I can recite to you. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. That's what the Bible says. Because they weren't citizens to begin with. Their allegiance was in something else. And all they wanted was God's resources to funnel into their most important citizenship. Brothers and sisters, we want to be citizens who make citizens of the Lord. We do that by sharing the gospel. Christian maturity is not having a lot of knowledge. Some of you are like, oh, thank you, Lord. Christian maturity is measured by your ability to reproduce. And I don't mean physically, (laughs) but I do mean I do mean spiritually, making disciples, making disciples. Our maturity, brothers and sisters, is not how churchy we can be, but how many disciples have we made? That is a measuring rod, according to Hebrews, of our maturity in Christ, where Paul says, you ought to be teachers by now. Instead, I have to go, and we have to go back to the elementary things of this world. Christian maturity is measured by making disciples, not information, and not being a warm body or not just showing up to church. If there's anybody who's sitting in here that thinks someday they're going to say, well, I went to First Baptist Church in response to Jesus at the gates. Oh, I rule the day that, that I led you to believe that that would be an argument for you. Church attendance is not going to get you there. It's encouraging, isn't it, brothers? It's good to be a part of the citizenship of Christ together. But do you have your passport that comes directly through relationship with Christ? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So what? Brothers and sisters, so what? Remember your your important citizenship is in heaven. And so when you get so caught up in the politics of this world, remember your citizenship is in heaven. Your citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And then be a citizen who makes citizens. Share the gospel. Make disciples. Invest in people even if it's scary. I wasn't going to use this example, but last night, I know many of you maybe were at the dinner, and as I looked, I was walking through, and I was just praying over the dinner, and I see a couple, and I'm thinking, what is it? Why does God want me to go talk to this couple? You ever have that moment? I never met them. I didn't know them, but I just knew that this was God's kingdom calling out to me. I need to sit down and meet this couple because God wants me to. And as your pastor, I would like to say that I'm super comfortable sitting down with strangers and and meeting them. It takes a great deal of courage for me. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but I walked around that room like three times, like trying to think through, what am I going to say? 
How am I going to get the courage to sit down and do this? I have no idea what I'm going to say. These are strangers. I don't know them, but I love them already, and I want them to know Jesus. And I hesitated. You ever been there? And finally, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say, but I'm just going to sit down next to them. And I ended up spending another probably 45 minutes to an hour talking to them because God gave me the right words at the right moment. Are you ready to make those courageous decisions to sit down with people and be a citizen who makes citizens? Life groups, I want you to ask this question, life group leaders. And by the way, if you're not a part of a life group, would you come talk to me? We got incredible life groups. Man, we sit down with each other. We talk about the nitty and the gritty about relationship and life with Jesus. Um, man, I just had such a precious time with Harold with your life group, and I try to visit life groups as much as I can. But we have a life group every, almost every night of the week, um, and I want to invite you into that deeper fellowship. Because sitting here, you're going to get information, but I think in life groups, you're going to see transformation because that's what God's community does. So get involved in a life group. The life group leaders, how can I be a citizen of heaven who makes citizens of heaven? So I'll ask that again. Life group leaders, how can I be a citizen who makes citizens of heaven? And I want to pray for you, and we'll close. Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. God, I pray that we would be a people who our highest citizenship, the most important part of our life, is being a part of your kingdom. And as you came and you announced that your kingdom is here, that is near, Lord, I pray we would live out of that. I don't know always what that looks like, but Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to us. God, I pray that you would help us to be so heavenly minded that we could be incredibly earthly good. Lord Jesus, I pray that over our church. And if there's somebody here, Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be speaking to them now. I, I got asked... Lord, uh, you know, I got asked by Lucas to pray for him as he shares with his brother today. Lord, I pray for Lucas that you would give him the right words to share with his brother Aaron and that Aaron would come to faith, that today, God, we pray, today would be the day of his salvation. God, we pray that. And if there's somebody here, Lord, that, that, that needs your salvation, I pray that today they would be able to ask the questions that would lead them to citizenship in your kingdom. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the privilege of serving these saints and these priests. Lord, I pray that they would carry your message out of here and through the rest of the week, God, I pray that you would prepare good works beforehand that they might share with those in their vicinity. God, I pray that. Um, and I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I'm so glad you're here. Um, and I'm praying for you. But remember, this is a small piece of church. Would you go and live the kingdom out there? Would you live the rule and reign of Christ in your lives out there? Thank you. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.